0: Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and latin and an outdoor program second to none the college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year learn more about the college's unique space in the world of american higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu peter Lighthart is president of the theophilus institute in birmingham alabama he writes for first Things. Often, been writing for the web many times and for the uh, magazine. He's been with us on the podcast before. Today, he's here to discuss his new book, Baptism, A Guide to Life from Death. Welcome, Peter.
1: Thanks, Mark. Great to be with you.
0: First thing, Peter, the the subtitle there, A Guide to Life from Death. I think the press made a mistake in the prepositions, right? I mean, shouldn't it be from life to death? I mean, how did this happen, Peter?
1: Yeah, Uh, (laughs) that's not a mistake. uh, It's it's what... uh, it's what the book is about. I'm arguing that uh, baptism is associated in the New Testament primarily with the gift of new life, with the gift of new creation that uh, Jesus brings by his Spirit, that uh, Christians enjoy by being part of the body of Christ in his church. And baptism is the entry into that, the life of the new life of the church. And in the New Testament, the images frequently of baptism as a death. Uh, and resurrection. Uh, Romans six is probably the most obvious case mm-hmm. where bapti- we're baptized into Christ's death, we're buried with Him in baptism, so that we can walk in newness of life. So, in a an uh, important sense, of course, Christians are going to die and uh, wait await the resurrection of the dead at the last day. But in an important sense, baptism's significant. Uh, what what it means, what it tells us, is that death is behind us. Uh, we've been joined to Christ's death, and we've been joined to His resurrection. By sharing in Christ's death, we're living on the far side of death and in him uh and enjoying the new life that he brings to us.
0: What is that opening prayer in the book why why do you why do you favor that expression
1: It's sometimes called luther's flood prayer it's a It's a prayer that came from martin luther uh It's a prayer about baptism. I favor it partly for personal reasons when uh, I was a pastor. I use that prayer at baptisms, and it would be the prayer of thanksgiving after the baptism was finished. And so, I'm familiar with it. I'm, I'm, I love the prayer for personal reasons, but it's also a great—it's a great summary of some of the themes of that are found in the scriptures and also in the history of the church about baptism. Luther connects baptism with, obviously, with Christ's own baptism, our baptism. Is an incorporation into the baptism of Christ in an important way. In a certain sense, you can say that there has been only one baptism, which is the baptism of Jesus. And our baptisms are just a, an incorporation or sharing in the one baptism of Jesus. So he connects it with the baptism of Christ. But then he also talks about the reason it's called the flood prayer, is because he has an extended discussion about how, in the prayer, giving thanks for how baptism liberates us from the flood waters, from the danger of the flood waters brings us into the holy ark of Christendom dry and safe. And so it uses the imagery of the flood and of Noah's ark as a, as a way of talking about baptism. Of course, that's rooted in the New Testament. First Peter 3 makes that exact same connection, that uh, baptism, uh, the, uh, baptism is the fulfillment of the type of the flood. Luther also alludes to baptism as a crossing of the Red Sea. I think the phrase is, a uh, hard-hearted Pharaoh is drowned in baptism. And so we are on the far side of we're no longer in, 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 enslaved to a pharaoh or to the devil. We're on the far side of that and uh, living in freedom. And that, again, is, a, is an image that's rooted in the New Testament. Paul uses that uh, imagery of the Exodus to talk about baptism in First Corinthians 10. So it's a great prayer that summarizes a lot of the different pictures that you have from the New Testament, where the New Testament is using Old Testament water events as a way of describing what happens at baptism. And, and Luther puts it all into a prayer form, so it's a, a prayer of thanksgiving for what the Lord has done in our baptism. It's a beautifully organized prayer, but it also lays out really what I was trying to do in the book, the, trying to show the scriptural roots
0: of baptism. The prayer somewhat gives a structure for for your book. Right. As you as you go through, you talk about, and, and what you've articulated just now, that there, there are three basic beliefs in the prayer that, that can be emphasized, as you move into chapter two, you say that baptism is a sign. I mean, you've, you've, you've hinted, or you, you, you've sort of stated what that means. What is it a sign of? And th- this is even more important. You know, we have, we have empty signs. We have signs that are sort of perfunctory. They may be effective. Some of them are not so effective. What makes, or what is it in the details of the baptism that make it a full, rich, powerful, meaningful sign.
1: A couple of dimensions to that, and one of the things I emphasized in the book was the, the fact that baptism, I, I call it a ritual clock. Baptism is a sign of the, the stage of history in which we live, that is, of the stage of history after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He inaugurates a new phase of history, the kingdom has come, and uh, new creation has begun to operate in the world, and Jesus is the one who initiates that. And baptism is a sign of that kind of objective reality that that, that new creation is has begun. Uh, Paul says in Second Corinthians, "Whoever is in Christ, there is a new creation." I think that's important because uh, our many of our discussions about baptism and our thinking about baptism focuses exclusively on what baptism means for the person who's baptized, which, of course, is exceedingly important, but it's also important to see that it's a sign of a new reality in the world. And I think the reason the, the reason why water is used to signify that goes back to the function of water in the creation account. We live in scientifically, materially, we live in a world that's mostly water, but also the uh, creation account in Genesis shows that the world emerges from water. When God first creates the world, it's formless and void, and it's it seems like it's a the world is uh, covered with water, uh, and then land emerges from the water, and God creates things in the sea and on the land and in the air. So everything is emerging from water. So the fact that we have a, a ritual that signifies this new phase of history that involves water is a sign that, that goes back to the creation uh, imagery and the, the fact that the new creation is coming. And I think in that sense, baptism is an effective sign, because when baptisms are performed and applied, More and more people. You have three thousand people baptized on Pentecost. That's three thousand more people in the world who uh, share in this new life that Jesus has brought by His resurrection and by the gift of the Spirit. And then, you know, as millions are baptized through the course of the centuries, that is a new creation is actually taking form. So, baptism isn't just a sign that tells us that this is happening, but it's an effective sign that is actually accomplishing what it symbolizes. It's bringing that new creation reality uh, into reality over the, over time, and that all, of course, has to do also has to do with the the individual who gets baptized. What happens to that person? In that sense, too, it's a it's an effective sign. It's a sign of our incorporation into that new reality, that new creation, and it's an effective sign. It actually brings us into the body of Christ, into the family of God, into the temple of the Spirit. Uh, and we're brought into that communion where Jesus and His Spirit are alive, and so each person who's baptized—it's not just telling them, informing them that they, that new creation exists, but it's actually bringing them into the sphere of that new creation. So, in both senses, it's—it's it's a sign that has an effect. I like to—I don't think I made this comparison in the in the book, but over the over the years, I've liked to—I uh, found it helpful to compare baptism to something like a a, a uh, you know an inauguration ceremony or a, a marriage, when a person begins an inauguration ceremony, he's, he's not yet a president, he's not yet a prime minister, and then after the, after the, the ceremony is done, he, he's, given some, he's, he's got a new calling, he's got a new vocation, he's got a new direction in life, he has new authority. Marriage actually affects the union of a man and a woman. It's not just a picture of that union of man and woman, actually it makes it happen. And so I think baptism is a, is a sign in that same way. It affects what it signifies. And what it signifies, I'm arguing in the book, is fundamentally this uh, entry into this new reality of, of Jesus in the spirit.
0: I have to say that what, when you open the baptism ritual beyond that individual, it, 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 does, it makes it, for, for me, a more, a more meaningful occasion uh, that, that this actually does, does concern. It announces something very big. In the world that has taken place, and I I have been to some baptisms, and that I'm I'm sorry to say that that dimension hasn't always been emphasized. It has been very much about you are now coming into the individual, the one being baptized is now brought into the, the the community. You'd like to see that always. It should always have that bigger historic or cosmological significance yes
1: yes i think it, the two things go together i don't wouldn't want to separate them but yes yes i think baptism is diminished if that more cosmic and uh, historic uh, objective reality is is missed yeah it does it narrows baptism down just to the individual's experience and i think that you know i'm i come from a tradition where it's common for a baptismal ceremony to include a lot of discussion by the pastor about what baptism is not doing, because uh, there's a, you know, in in certain circles of Protestantism, there's worries that too much power will be attributed to baptism, and you don't want to be mistaken for a Catholic by saying, uh, you know, baptism is is somehow an objective, it it objectively brings you into this this new creation. You don't want to to talk about baptismal regeneration, because that would label you as a Catholic. So there's a lot of discussion in, in some Protestant circles, the circles that I'm I tend to be in, in that it's more negative than positive. It's, so even with the individual, it's not, this is, this is God's gift to you in this moment, but it's make sure that we don't attribute too much power to it. And I think that, uh, the New Testament, I think, uh, is pushing in, in exactly the opposite direction. I have a list at the beginning of the book of all the things that are attributed to baptism by the apostles. I mean, Peter, 1 Peter 3, Peter says, baptism now saves you. And we have, to, we have to try to figure out what he means. It's not straightforward what he means, but it's still a statement <laughs> that attributes enormous power to baptism. And that's in the context of, uh, of linking, the bapti- uh, linking baptism to the flood. The flood is an epical event in world history, in biblical history. And Peter is saying that your baptism is of the same order and actually is, uh, surpasses that event of the flood. So I think the yeah, both the individual focus and then the, the, the frequent focus on the frequent worry about uh, attributing too much power to baptism, I think that really diminishes it. And I think the New Testament is uh, teaching us uh, something very different. The baptism is this, it's an act of God that's having a, an, uh, a, an effect on the world that is part of the way God is bringing the new creation
0: all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures academically excellent always faithful apply today at udallas.edu you say christians live not toward death but from death is there something in the individual being baptized that dies in that process what what, does something die inside i mean so to speak I, i would say there are various ways
1: in which the, the person dies. And then there's a, I think that the Spirit is at work in the baptism. You move from kind of being in Adam. Uh, if you're united to Adam, then you're united to a, a dead humanity, a dying humanity. Uh, and baptism puts that to death and brings you to the new life of Jesus and the new life of the Spirit. So uh, and that, that's the more traditional way to think about it, a, as a kind of cleansing of original sin would be another way to say that. But I think there's other other ways too that you think about an adult baptism, an adult convert who gets baptized, uh, and that person has all kinds of loyalties. He has all kinds of uh, commitments. He has a particular past, and he has a particular trajectory in the future. He's got a family and in group. He's got a, a way of thinking about those who are outside his his personal circle of friends and family, and all that gets reshuffled and. And I, well, I would say that it doesn't just get reshuffled, but that whole world that he's part of dies in baptism. He's given a new past. Now he's incorporated into the, into the history of Israel, the history of Abraham, Israel, and Jesus. That's his past. He's incorporated into a new future. He's got this uh, a trajectory toward the fullness of the new creation, and uh, he's called to remain faithful to the calling he has in baptism so that he can reach that new creation. That's a different future than he had before. He now is defined by a different kind of in-group. He's got a different family. He's now part of the family of God. He's got different brothers and sisters. And that means he also has, there's a different out-group. There's a different out, uh, set of outsiders. So if you think of not just what's happening inside the individual, I think things do happen inside. But think about what's happening to the world that the, of which the individual is a part. That, all, that is shattered and then renewed and reborn. In baptism.
0: You say at one point, the world needs to die, too. Is that what you mean?
1: Right. The world of the individual needs to die. I think that's in the chapter when I'm talking about the flood and trying to think through the implications of connecting baptism to the flood. That's a pretty dramatic typology, uh, because the, the flood comes at a point where astonishingly, shockingly, the Lord regrets, according to Genesis 6, the Lord regrets that he had made man and so his solution is to send a flood and to wash away the world that had been corrupted and to start over with, with Noah and his family. So uh, that's a, the flood is, uh, according to Genesis, the flood is the death and resurrection of the entire universe, of, of Earth. And then Peter's connecting that to baptism. And so I think baptism is a sign that the world, the world can't be repaired. Sin as is as so pervasive and so pernicious
0: that you you can't paste it up
1: and make it work.
0: So along these lines, you imply that baptism is something of an acknowledgement of evil and of Satan, which is, I think you say, is getting harder and harder in our, you know, more or less prosperous, relatively peaceful world to to acknowledge the reality of, of evil. In the world, is is that correct that baptism is a a direct assumption? There is evil out there,
1: right? And and it's enslaved you, and you need to be delivered from it. That's that's right. I mean, there's a couple of couple of things, but that's that's a pretty common patristic description of baptism, and it's usually connected, as I talk about in the book, it's usually connected with the typology of Exodus. So the the Church Fathers talk about you know, baptism as being like a new exodus, which means that the Pharaoh who holds us in thrall has been defeated, and that Pharaoh is often is described as Pharaoh the Old Testament Pharaoh who enslaved Israel is a type of the devil. and uh, there's some kind of colorful uh, descriptions in the Church Fathers where a person who is entering into font for baptism, the devil is pursuing that person into the font because he doesn't want to lose one of his slaves, and then the devil gets drowned in the water. Uh, apparently, apparently, evil spirits can't swim, so they get, uh, <laughs> they get drowned in the water. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's one kind of typology. The, the, other, uh, the other thing that's connected with that, of course, is the uh, frequent use of exorcisms within baptismal rites. Uh, there are still churches that do this that have a renunciation of Satan that's part of the rite of baptism. And that was almost universal, as far as I can tell, in early church baptismal ceremonies. There's a a recognition, that goes back to the death death theme, there's a recognition that the person who's being baptized is enslaved to the devil. He's part of a world that is enslaved to the devil. And baptism is his release from that, and his liberation from from Satan. uh, The point you make about uh, that, that, conception being difficult for us to fathom. I picked up from Alexander Shemim, the great Russian Orthodox theologian of the 20th century, um, who talks about our, yeah, our, our prosperity and our peacefulness. We, we don't believe that there are evil forces and evil spirits that seek to enslave us. And often it's the th- things that seem innocuous. Um, our very prosperity can become a kind of an, an, a demonic enslavement to the things of this world, a demonic enslavement to comfort. Christians in Africa will talk about actual demonic activity, and they, they know that that's real. Christians in the West are typically not so so thoroughly aware, Pentecostals more than the rest of us, but not so thoroughly aware of the devil's activity. But Schmemann is saying that even the most innocuous and peaceful and apparently prosperous and even good things can become demonic enslavement. And so baptism is a renunciation and a liberation from That whole world that's under Satan's dominion
0: And is is this why you say that baptism? uh, While it does make every person you say quote a saint a holy person a priest But also baptism makes you into something of a soldier. Is that right?
1: Yes Biblically, I'm picking up on typology that this again. It's a I think it's implied by scripture it's picked up by the church fathers where they the exodus is a baptism. Paul is explicit about that in 1 Corinthians. But then the church fathers say, well, the, next, the, the exit from Egypt is a baptism. The entry into the land is also a baptism. Because this, you have a kind of exodus when Joshua crosses from, from the wilderness into the land. The waters of the Jordan River part, and Israel passes through. So on either end of their sojourn in the wilderness, there's a, there's a passage through water. And the church fathers pick up on that as a, as a type of baptism. Uh, and they, they make a lot of the fact that uh, the name Joshua and the name Jesus are the same name. And so those who, the Israelites who pass through the waters of the Jordan are following uh, Joshua as they conquer the land. Uh, then uh, Christians who follow the new Joshua, Jesus, through the waters of baptism are called to be soldiers fighting with spiritual weapons, fighting with the weapon of bold and faithful witness particularly. That's, uh, but we're called to that kind of militancy uh, and I, I think that you know, there's a there's a long tradition of talking about that martyrdom as a kind of baptism, a baptism in blood that kind of that brings to, that brings a water baptism to its fulfillment. And I think that's that connection that you find in the church fathers is a is a sound one. When we're baptized, we're called to be witnesses, uh, and that means uh, witnesses in places where our witness will be opposed, in situations of threat, uh, when our witness is contended and and, uh, and uh, condemned, our baptism calls us to be followers of the greater Joshua in, in fighting those battles. Question, sir.
0: Why does John baptize way out in the wilderness? Why doesn't he go to some nice suburb where people want to uh, line up and, and, and have ice cream while they're waiting in line? Why does that happen?
1: My explanation of this comes from N.T. Wright. I think he's provided the most plausible explanation. He puts it in the context of the whole notion of Return from exile, that Israel was taken into Babylonian exile hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. And they returned to the land, and yet there was some sense that they hadn't fully returned in the way that the po- prophets had promised. There was a greater return from exile that's still to come. And the symbolism of John's baptism is a kind of reversal of the entry into the land. So he's going from the land across the Jordan on the other side of the Jordan back out into the wilderness retracing the steps that israel took when they came into the land he's retracing them in reverse mm. then he's baptizing people as a sign that they are they're the ones who are going to be the those who return to the land enjoy the fullness of the return from exile and enjoy the fullness of god's blessing in the land so i think it, it has to do with that that symbolism of uh, exile and return
0: primarily does Baptism wash away mankind's guilt for the crucifixion as well as original sin?
1: That seems to be Peter's implication in this Pentecost sermon, and when this Pentecost sermon is pretty pointed. so It's an accusatory sermon. It's a proclamation of the gospel. Uh, talk, it talks about Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise of David. Jesus is the one who didn't see corruption, but then when he gets to the climax of the sermon, he's... Pointing his finger at the Jews who accused Jesus and sent him, sent him to the Romans, uh, and says that the one that they had that they had condemned is now Lord in Christ, and the reaction is, "What what can we do to be saved?" And his answer is, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit." So that that does seem to connect the sin of the cross, the crucifixion directly. Baptism is directly their solution to that as it were cuz you're you know, when you're baptized, when you're baptized in that situation somebody who has shouted crucify him crucify him a couple months before he hears Peter preach and then he decides I I'm, I want to be a follower of this Jesus I was wrong and his baptism is a public sign that he's basically changing sides he's no longer on the side that's opposed to the Messiah he's now on he's now in the company of the Messiah So I think that it does have that specific force in Acts 2 with Peter's Pentecost sermon.
0: You end on an inspiring note of belonging. You say, when the bullies and demons return, remind Jesus and yourself you are his. Is this the ultimate good of baptism that we are with him and of him we belong to him? That is one of the
1: ultimate goods, I guess I would say. I think there are many, many things you could say about it, but I think that's and the, the logic there is the logic of Romans 6, where Paul declares to the Romans, don't you know you've been baptized? You've died with Christ. You've been buried with him in baptism. Now walk in newness of life. And the other thing he says as a consequence is, now consider yourself to be dead to sin. So there's a kind of, um, Paul is, to use a modern, um, modern lingo, Paul is telling them to conform their self-image to what was declared about them in their baptism. Baptism said that they died to the world, they died to sin, and so they should think of themselves as dead to sin. Baptism is a declaration, a claim, God's claim on the person who's being baptized, and so we should consider ourselves as gods. We are not our own. We were bought at a price. We were claimed by God at baptism, and that means we have obligations because we belong to Him, but it also means we have assurance that we are his no matter what kind of threats we face, no matter what kind of suffering we undergo, we belong to him, and we can constantly remind ourselves of the reality of, the, of our baptism that uh, is the objective sign of that claim on
0: us. Final question. You dedicate the book to your father. Was that because of something you wanted to relate specifically to baptism, or was this some more general honorific. Yeah, uh, it was, um,
1: I realized as I was finishing up the first draft of the manuscript that I was doing it on the first anniversary of his death, and so it was, that was the particular reason for dedicating it to my father. But I I do think that he was a lifelong believer, a lifelong Lutheran, baptized as an, an infant and died at the age of 98 in the same church, the same congregation where he was baptized spent uh, 98 years as a member of the same congregation uh, which is um, a, a remarkable thing as, as uh, in, particularly in this in our time so I'm, it was the anniversary of death that made, made me think of this but I also think that I think that he would have appreciated what I was saying in the book when I I, I grew up as a Lutheran and went through a, a transition into a, a reformed presbyterian setting but over the years I've become more appreciative of of, uh, Lutheran, of Lutheran theology, in particular Lutheran theology of the sacraments. And uh, I think you would have appreciated the kind of Lutheran overtones of, uh, of this
0: particular book. The book is Baptism, A Guide to Life from Death. Pastor Lighthart, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. I enjoyed it a lot. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930. ¶¶